Thank you so much. I want to thank Mark especially for the privilege of sharing this pulpit this morning and all of you for being here. What a joy it is for us to worship together. I give so much thanks for our joint venture and for our partnership and for the many ways in which our two congregations live more fully into our call as Christians because of what we share together. So thank you so much. In the interest of that, I feel like I should start this morning with a little bit of a confession that will surprise some of you maybe, but most of you probably not, so then I'm not sure it's much of a confession after all. But I'll say that I am a rule follower. If you know me at all, you know that about me. If you don't know me very well, you can take my word for it or feel free to ask any of the folks that I work with at St. Matt's who will tell you that I am being truthful in this moment. I like order and process and systems, and I like for everyone to stay in their own lane and do what they're supposed to do. I like boundaries, and I like appropriateness, and some of you might be thinking this is exactly what Episcopalians are, and you're right. We often describe our liturgy as a dance of appropriateness or a dance of courtesy, and so in some ways as an Episcopal priest, you sort of have to like these things and nerd out a little bit about these things, but it is also tied into some deeper things for me too. Tied into things like honor and ethics and trust and respect and grace. And honestly, it's a part of the way that I envision my living out my love of neighbor. And also how I think about respecting the dignity of every human being, right? Everyone has a place and a role, everyone's welcome, and we all do better when we kind of follow the rules. What do you think, do you buy that? Having said that, I will admit I don't always trust the system. But I do take seriously our responsibility to be good citizens and good Christians and good people. And I think that a lot of the rules and a lot of the things that we have in place in society help us to do that, right? Help us to live into those roles of respect and care for each other. But we all know that there are times when rules need to be broken, right? We all know that there are places when we need to take a stand, plant a flag, choose a spot. And there are a handful of places where I absolutely and consistently break the rules in order to live out my faith. And if you want a concrete example of that, I'll invite you to come chat with me afterwards. But I do one specific thing every week at St. Matt's that is a huge breaking of the rules. So it does happen in my life. In the gospel this morning, we have this really interesting and much more complicated than it sounds story of Jesus healing a woman. And the thing that he gets in trouble for in this story is not the healing, it's the breaking of the rules. And this is a fairly constant tension between Jesus and the religious elites. He is constantly in scripture breaking some kind of rule whether it's a religious rule like the purity laws about who he could touch, who he could be with, whether it's a law or a societal norm or expectation about who he could eat with, who was welcome and who wasn't, or today he gets himself in trouble for breaking the rule about work on the Sabbath. Now we know that faithful Jewish people didn't do any work on the Sabbath. In fact, we still have plenty of Jewish siblings in the world whose entire houses are automated, the lights, the oven, everything, so that they do no work. They don't even flip a switch on the Sabbath. 
So surely what Jesus is doing in the gospel this morning counts as work. He's expending energy, to be sure. He's changing someone's entire life. Let's look at how. If you go look at this gospel passage in Luke, in the Bible, I'll be curious to do to see what it says in your Bible, but in the couple that I consulted, online or in print, the, the title, the heading of this story is Jesus Heals a Crippled Woman. Two things to think about there. First of all, in modern society, we don't really use that C word anymore. It's not an appropriate word. It doesn't honor the dignity of our neighbors. And second, the title of this story is so oversimplified and sort of summarizes the story in such a way that you just sort of are led to believe, well, this is just another healing story, right? Jesus is just doing what Jesus does. And it might even encourage you not so much to even read it or dig into it or question what it's really about. But it's not just another healing story. First, we have this woman who has been bent over for 15 years. And I want to invite you to imagine that for a minute. Put yourself in her body and imagine how exhausted she must have been physically, emotionally. Imagine her pain and her frustration, her fatigue. You might even imagine some scenarios in her life. Maybe she is lucky and she has people around her who want to help, but maybe she feels like a burden. Maybe she's embarrassed by the fact that she can't do anything for herself. Maybe she doesn't have anyone around her and she's alone and suffers and isn't able to do a lot of the things that need to be done. What's really clear in the Greek, and it sort of is clear in the scripture that we heard, but not usually in the English is it super clear that what's ailing her, this ailment, as the text says, is not just physical, it's actually spiritual. In the Greek, it's referred to as a spirit of infirmity, meaning she has been bent over all this time, unable to live her life, not because of a broken bone or a strained back, but because of something spiritual, because of something she's carrying, something that is literally weighing her down. Now, Jesus says to her and to everyone else, and claims her in this moment, that she is a daughter of Abraham. And so this too, I think, I take, I take issue with the summary here too. She's not just a random person. She's not just a woman that happened to show up. She's part of the tribe. She's part of the covenant. She's meant to be beloved, and she's kin. And Jesus goes on to suggest, finally, that this is the work of Satan, the work of an evil spirit. Doesn't she deserve to be free, he says, to be loosed from her bonds? So Jesus takes the weight literally off her shoulders, off her back, and sets her free. Whatever spirit it was, whatever combination of spiritual and emotional and physical pain and suffering that it was, Jesus just seems to take it from her so that she can stand up, so that she can live. Or as the text literally says in the Greek, so that she can bend up into all fullness, right? Which is not what you expect it to say, but it's a moving verb. It's about life. It's moving up into all fullness. 
so that she can be whole. He frees her so that she can be whole. How amazing that must have been for her. Imagine that moment when everything changes in her life. Physically, emotionally, her entire universe alters. Now in the text, it's the leader of the synagogue who misreads the situation. We probably shouldn't be surprised by that. Luke is fond of making the religious elites sound pretty callous and harsh. He is the one who really doesn't look at her, who doesn't take the time to see her or to understand what's going on for her. He's the one who makes this into just another healing story. But in fact, it's so much more than that. Jesus sets her free. And what we learn about Jesus, I think, in this story, specifically in his rule-breaking, is that for Jesus, freedom is a now thing. Not a someday thing. Not a when-we-get-there thing. Not a when-it's-appropriate thing. It's a now thing. He's not willing to be bound by the Sabbath, to wait on her freedom because of a a rule or a couple of rule followers who are going to sort of chase him down the road. Nothing is more important to him than setting this woman free. And he won't wait a minute longer, not for her, not for you. So this morning, I think we need to hear the text asking us about our own spiritual health. What is weighing you down? What is pressing on you, keeping you from fulfillment, from wholeness? What burden, what weight are you carrying that you just cannot seem to put down or let go of or find a way to take off your shoulders? What spirit of infirmity? Because the truth is we all have these things, right? We all have baggage and bruises and burdens. We all have pieces of us that we hide. Things that cause us fear and shame. Wounds that we don't know how to heal. Hurts that we don't know how to forgive. What is it that you are carrying that you need to give to Jesus? Because the truth is, we know, we've learned from scripture, we know from our own experience that the longer we carry it, the longer we let it rule us, the more it weighs us down, the more it robs us of our joy, of our freedom, of the fullness of life that God intends for us. And speaking of that fullness of life, lest you think I forgot about Jeremiah, what's true in all of these healing stories is that when Jesus sees someone fully, and sets them free, whether it's emotionally or physically or spiritually or some combination of the three, what's always true is that there is an expectation then about how that person will live going forward, about what they will do with their new lease on life, with their transformation, with this new gift. In Jeremiah, we have this story that most of us probably know fairly well of God calling the prophet It's a text we like to use at ordinations. Actually, we hear it very often in the larger church. And we know from studying a little bit of scripture and from coming to church and hearing the word of God that Jeremiah's life was not going to be an easy one. In fact, you might argue that the work to which God calls Jeremiah is actually a burden that God lays on him. Not a spirit of infirmity, but a responsibility to call God's people back to faithfulness and fullness, even though they really did not want to hear it. 
essentially to free them from what was claiming them and taking them away from God. And so God says to Jeremiah in this text, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. And what that word means here, specifically consecrated, it isn't just that Jeremiah was made holy in some way. And I think sometimes we stop there. But what that word really means in the Greek is that Jeremiah was set aside for a particular purpose. He was set aside. He was given a special and particular charge. He was given particular gifts to carry out that charge. A vocation to set people free. To help them find God, which we know is real freedom. Now I have put my words in your mouth and given you the power to pluck up and pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. My friends, God loves each and every one of us this way, with intention, with its mind set on eternity. God loves you with this same strength, this same insistence, this same deep, deep knowing that God shows to Jeremiah this morning. And God has also given you particular gifts for the building up of the kingdom, work to do, a vocation that only you can offer to the church and to the world. And if we're to learn from Jesus' example this morning, then we must begin to live now, all of us as Christians, like we believe the kingdom has already come. Because we know that in Jesus it has come near to us. So now it's up to us to live that way, to follow him, to make that world into a reality. To let him free us so that we can insist on the freedom of others. And I think to do that, one of the things we have to do is to realize that we have to not let anything stop us. That's what Jesus does in the gospel this morning. Jesus understands and shows us and teaches us and requires us to understand that freedom for all, freedom for all God's people isn't a someday thing. Not a, we can figure it out when we get there. Not a, when we have time or when it's convenient. Not even, and I love this quote and I love this man, but not even the arc of the universe, arc of history bends toward justice. Jesus is calling us to live that way now. It's a now thing. And there is no rule, no societal norm, nothing that should stop us from pursuing that freedom for ourselves and for all of God's children around us. You know already that we live in a time of such burdens. And they come in all shapes and sizes. They are emotional and political and spiritual and physical. And we live in a time when we tie them up and we place them on the shoulders of others. We know that Jesus elsewhere talks about that as a dangerous thing for us to do. We tie those burdens onto the shoulders of people who live next door to us, people who live around the world from us, and our own. Some of that is that we live in a system that makes it very hard to step outside of that. Because the system that we live in, that we sort of have to participate in, does continue to perpetuate racism and climate change and misogyny and homophobia and poverty and all of these other things. 
all kinds of fear, all kinds of spirits of infirmity. And the call of the gospel this morning, the call of Jesus on our lives always is to not be weighed down by these things. Not ignore them, but give them over to Jesus and let him free you so that you can stand upright and be fulfilled and know that this isn't the end of the story. Know that God has given you the words and the power and the heart to go and free others, to pluck up and pull down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. This is our work, regardless of our denomination. This is our call as Christians, and it never rests, not on the Sabbath or any other day. Because we are love people, resurrection people, now May we live in such a way that the world can see our freedom. May we live in such a way that we create freedom for others. Amen.